Self-optimizing is our language. We, we tend to refer to it as adaptive Wi-Fi or adapt, you know, as, as the next type of Wi-Fi connectivity where you literally have computing power and AI affecting and thinking about what's happening inside that home environment and optimizing it constantly. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, the editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. IoT devices are everywhere these days, not only on the shop floor or in stores, but in private households as well, where they drive smart lamps, heating systems, smart meters, just name a few. In fact, most of these connections are made via Wi-Fi, but Wi-Fi quality can fluctuate wildly as Anyone knows whose Zoom connection got dropped in the middle of an important call or conference? Even worse, many Wi-Fi connections aren't properly secured, giving hackers and ransomware crooks a perfect entry path into the most sensitive systems. Plume was founded in 2014 with the premise that a device is only as intelligent as the network it's connected to. Service providers often have no idea what's going on inside the homes or businesses they provide connectivity to. Todd Grantham is CMO of Plume, and he's here to tell us what's different about Plume. Welcome, Todd. Thanks very much for having me. Good to see you, Tim. Todd, you claim you have developed a cloud-controlled, software-defined approach to Wi-Fi, one which gives communication service providers, whom you call CSPs, the ability to go to the, on to the market with new services faster and at greater scale while giving them a way to react to problems and customer complaints. Did I get that right? That's correct. Yeah, we've built a software-based system to, to kind of solve the biggest problem that was facing service providers when it came to delivering internet services to their subscribers. You know, they, they had done a very good job at developing sophisticated uh, broadband networks, getting the pipe, if you will, to the homes. But, you know, once you get inside the home, most people don't hardwire their devices in, you know, they're, they're using wireless, they want to move around the house, or they want to sit on the couch. And you know, you don't want Ethernet cables running all over the house. And so they use Wi Fi. And, you know, Wi Fi is the internet to most consumers, you know, that's just they think of them as synonymous. So CSPs needed a way to figure out, okay, we can get the broadband to the house, but then this is a whole new world of, of Wi-Fi that we have to deal with. And, and they were really having a big struggle with it. So our founders, about seven years ago, as you say, came up with an idea of, well, instead of just taking a, a simple way to push that broadband connection throughout the home, let's, let's find a new way that uses software and can really optimize you know, that experience. And that's, that's what we've done and been building over the last seven years. What is a self-optimizing Wi-Fi solution? Well, self-optimizing is is our way of describing what we see as the next generation of Wi-Fi. You know, Wi-Fi has been around for a long time, and, and people have probably experienced it in many different ways. Usually, it starts with the the big black box that you get from your you know your CSP or your ISP, and then you know Wi-Fi you know emanates a signal out. But what we've really thought about is okay, how would we use software and hardware to make certain that it is 
constantly improving itself. You know, obviously consumers add different numbers of devices on a regular basis, different security threats come up. You know, you're moving around the house, so that changes which point you're connected to. So self-optimizing is our language. We, we tend to refer to it as adaptive Wi-Fi or adapt, you know, as, as the next type of Wi-Fi connectivity where you literally have computing power and AI affecting and thinking about what's happening inside that home environment and optimizing it constantly, whether that be, you know, the topology of the house, you know, where people are connecting, you know, if they're moving from the bedroom into the kitchen with their phones or their laptops, whether it be the different kinds of devices you have on and helps manage who gets what and, and which which bandwidth or channel the different devices connected really optimize that experience, whether it be, you know, giving insights back to the CSPs so that they can help support you if you call in and say, I have this issue, what's going on? You know, all of that is part of self-optimization and and adaptive Wi-Fi helping build a, a better, stronger Wi-Fi environment inside the home. So essentially, it's sort of smart Wi-Fi. Exactly. I mean, it really is. It's, it is not just this, you know, plugging it in and setting it, forgetting it. This is constantly optimizing to give the consumer the very best possible experience. Obviously, the needs of a streaming television that's, that's running Netflix or a movie is very different than a wireless printer. And so we really try to actively evolve and modify the Wi-Fi performance based on the device, the time of day, the usage patterns in the home, the security threats that are changing. So yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a super smart Wi-Fi. Businesses, especially small businesses, are often stuck between choosing a cheaper residential Wi-Fi solution or a big, complex enterprise solution. You claim your product called WorkPass is just right for small businesses. What makes you say that? Sure, yeah. WorkPass is our newest offering. So we started in the home and working with you know customers and service providers to optimize the home experience we call that product home pass and that was really about optimizing oh people have guests come and go you know you have a certain small number of devices different use cases you know you're using it busy at night but then as we started looking across the market we realized small businesses you know, really didn't have a great solution for them. You know, companies have certainly built big enterprise solutions for big companies and big spaces, arenas, or big office buildings. You know, the Wi-Fi has got a very sophisticated solution there, but small businesses were kind of caught in the middle. You know, they were, they didn't have a solution that was kind of built for them that had the ease of a consumer solution, but the more powerful security and control devices of an enterprise solution. So we developed WorkPass and launched it this year to basically be bespoke to what a small business might need. They need more sophisticated controls and insights from their Wi-Fi than a home might, but they don't, they're still small business owners. They don't have an IT department and, and things like that. So they wanna be able to you know, look at it easily on a phone, make certain that all the devices are connected, connect them to the right zone. We have three different zones in WorkPass, a back office where you would have like accounting systems or whatever, a front office where you would have like your point of sale system and, and a zone for your consumers as well, the customers that come into the small business. You, don't, you want to manage those things discreetly. You don't want them intermingling with each other. So it's, and it's all from the power of an app, a very, very simple app that's running on your phone. So, so that's why we mean by, we're kind of the, the Goldilocks solution right in the between. It's, it's more powerful than the, the residential solution but simple enough to use that it doesn't have all the complexity of a big enterprise solution. And how do you make sure that these Wi-Fi systems are really secure? 
Yeah, we go through lots of level of, of security offerings in, in, in all of our services, whether it be HomePass or WorkPass. We have several points that we deal with. One, we call advanced device typing. So when a device connects to our network, within seconds, we can classify 95% of the devices that connect to the network. As an example, we have something along the lines of 1,200 different brands and 12,000 different types of devices that we've seen and recognize uh, on our network. So when something connects, there's a good chance we've seen it before. So we know what kind of Wi-Fi services it needs and importantly, how it tends to behave. Because the second part of it is we have behavioral analysis and anomaly detection. So if any of the devices connected start doing something that they wouldn't usually do, you know, a Peloton for example, would connect to a very narrow set of websites and web services. And if it suddenly starts trying to connect to a bunch of other things, our, and this is a third element of our, our detection, we shut that down and we isolate it so that, so that a hacker or an intruder can't use the Peloton as a gateway into the rest of the devices on your home. So it's really important to kind of have multi-levels of protection, both at a network level and understanding all the security threats that happen you know, and might be trying to get in, and recognizing those if they're trying to attack your network, but then also at the device level and understanding the behavior of those devices and making sure that they're performing and behaving the way they should be. For users, Wi-Fi has some serious limitations, especially in terms of range. In the past, signal enhancers were a way to extend range, but you seem to be pioneering a completely different approach, which is called a mesh network. Could you explain what that is and why it's better than existing technology? Sure, yeah. So mesh, you know, there's kind of like three generations if you want to think of it that way. And, and it's a little bit what I was touching on at the beginning. Kind of the first generation was the traditional Wi-Fi when there weren't that many devices connected and you didn't need signal all over the home. And that was basically just the router, the box that you would get from the provider. And that was enough for a lot of people and for quite a few years. And then as the, you know, as the home environment changed, as people started having more devices and having more stuff, we needed a better way. And there were range extenders, but those were not very good. They really were just kind of antennas for that router box. So they, they really degraded the speed and they didn't add much um, distance to the coverage. Mesh has come along as the next generation of technology. And that technology is, is pretty impressive. It uses physical access points, little devices that you plug in across the house. And instead of just extending the range, each of them can actually talk to each other. So it has a, an easy way for it to connect and interconnect across the access points and all of the devices. So that really is upped the power of the home network and does a great job of covering you know, the home. And then we've actually taken it a step beyond mesh, which is the smart Wi-Fi that we were talking about earlier, where our system then takes that mesh environment. And the one downside with traditional mesh or the mesh that's happening right now is it's static. You kind of turn it on. It looks at all the devices you have in your house and says, okay, great. This is the optimal setting, but then it doesn't really change it ever again. Our system is looking at it and saying, okay, this is how it is today. But, oh, let's say a neighbor moves in next door and they're blasting Wi-Fi and there's a bunch of interference. Well, then we change all of our configurations to get away from that interference. Or let's say you go buy a bunch of smart IoT devices and they come in and they change the network again. Or let's say you're moving throughout the home you know, with your laptop and you're going from upstairs to downstairs. All of those things need to be constantly optimized. And that's where our ADAPT solution, our adaptive Wi-Fi, is, takes mesh, takes the principles of mesh, and builds intelligence on top of that and above and beyond it. And that's, that's where we really think the next, the fourth generation, if you will, of, of Wi-Fi is going with adaptive Wi-Fi. 
most CSPs talk a lot about bandwidth. And yes, that's important. I'll never forget, I uh, did an interview once with Nick Rapanti of the MIT Media Lab, and he told me uh, the quote, give me enough bandwidth and I will move the world from its hinges. Today, we seem to have lots of bandwidth, but bandwidth with isn't everything. I mean, what about latency and quality, not to mention services? Well, I would never go on and, and question or doubt Mr. Negroponte. He's obviously an incredibly visionary and impressive person and 100% and right. Bandwidth obviously is, is a, a big pile of it. But, you know, a big fat pile of water pouring through the pipe doesn't necessarily serve all the different needs. So when you get into latency and quality, it's basically taking that bandwidth story and, and going one level of, of detail further, which is to say, you know, again, latency is, a, is, you know, to kind of explain, you know, I'm sure everyone knows what that means, but just to explain a little bit, latency is about the speed of how fast things are refreshing. So if you're playing an online video game, that latency needs to be really low because you're doing a bunch of actions and you want it to happen in real time and you don't want to miss that jump shot or whatever it is that you're, whatever game you're playing. And then, you know, that in certain devices have a really high need for for fast latency or low latency as in very fast connections and then that's not as important to others and so it really is about and again that's kind of where it gets to the intelligence side of it you want to move beyond just big fat pipe and say okay well let's let's use the pipe in the very very best possible way let's give every device exactly what it needs at the time that it needs it and that's one service that that we try to add on top of that then okay once you have that pipe kind of working what else can you do with Wi-Fi? And one of the things that we've introduced as an example, because we are a software-driven model, we can add new services in very easily into the home environment through our CSP partners. And, and one we introduced in, in early 2020, before all of our worlds changed, was motion detection. And we actually used the Wi-Fi signals going th throughout the house that are connected to all the different devices. And we can detect the smallest physical motion through a home, through small disruptions in those Wi-Fi signals. And then we can pinpoint that back to the customer and say, and give them in the app a map of here's where motion is happening inside of, of the home. So that's an example of, you know, once you have a software-defined world that is using Wi-Fi as a as a, almost an environment, think of it as an environment, you can introduce all kinds of new services to the subscriber. And that's great for the CSP as well as for the end consumer. I can imagine that stuff like this motion detection would be very, very attractive for businesses that want to create IoT networks too. Am I right? You're 100% right. Yeah, for sure. The, I mean, we really see, it's very interesting. We see the Wi-Fi network and environment as kind of the next frontier of where consumer services are going to happen. And it is all about the data that we have available to help guide the creation of new services, as well as understanding what consumers are most interested in using. And so for sure, the interconnection of IoT devices and the insights that can come from that, that really can help drive where they go and how they develop new services. So you're 100% right. It's kind of a weird thing to get your head around of Wi-Fi just used to be like how you connect to the internet, but we really see that as, yeah, sure, that of course is still critical, but Wi-Fi now is actually its own medium, if you will, and, and capable of delivering so much more, and we're just getting started. Everybody's all worked up nowadays about the 5G mobile networks. 
Uh, will they make Wi-Fi redundant? It's been a lot of conversation about that. Um, but in reality, we see 5G actually as just another frontier for expanding our business. Because the reality is most 5G providers, and we're, we're in deep conversations with many of the world's largest 5G providers, you know, 5G is, is an expensive spectrum. You know, they have to pay for that bandwidth from the government. It's, you know, it has a limited volume. It's not an infinite space. It's a, it's a, it's a licensed spectrum. And so it is great and it's very fast, but many of them would love to, you know, if someone within the space where there's a Wi-Fi signal, where Wi-Fi is a free medium, it is not, it's an unlicensed spectrum. It, it, they don't have to pay for that. They would much rather get someone onto a Wi-Fi network and then move them off 5G if that Wi-Fi network can provide the same performance. And many times, of course, it can. In fact, in some cases, 5G still has some of the issues that of old cellular technologies and that when you get inside of complex buildings and things like that, the signal starts to degrade, whereas you can then control, you know, use Wi-Fi in a very small network space and create an optimized performance. So 5G and Wi-Fi are extremely complementary, especially when you get into the physical spaces and especially with, which is, again, where that cloud managed services model comes from. If you can easily move devices on and off the 5G and into the Wi-Fi environment and back and forth, whichever network is going to provide the best experience, seamlessly moving the device is the best possible world for, for everyone, it's for the end user as well as for the, for the provider. So we see 5G as very complementary and, and uh, like I said, are, are in deep conversations with many of them to the 5G providers to, to actually partner together. That was Todd Grantham, CMO of Plume, talking about the future of Wi-Fi. Thanks for being our guest, Todd. Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks for the time. We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. When hackers shut down the IT systems of Colonial and forced the largest pipeline operator in America to pay more than $2 million in ransom, cybersecurity took on a whole new dimension. Managers and IT professionals around the world are taking a new look at how they protect their data and who is allowed to access their systems. Wallix is a French provider of state-of-the-art data protection and access management solutions. Their motto is Cybersecurity Simplified. Joining us today is Didier Lestevin, COO of Wallix. Tell me, Didier, how has the colonial fiasco changed the game of cybersecurity? 
The colonial hack did not change the game of cybersecurity, I think, but just enforce the ultimate need to secure any identity and access at all the levels of the Purdue reference model, whatever it's a ICS, a SCADA application, PLC, HMI controllers, and industrial servers, but also the remote access server engineering, workstation, IoT, and RPA gateways. And for sure, finally, the bridge between the enterprise IT. The colonial ransomware attack followed the ones, let's say, that we, we heard about in 2022 French Saint-Gobain or Renault. Uh, we remember as well the Ukrainian energy grid in 2015, and recently in February 21, the cyber attack on the water distribution of Oldsmar in Florida. So this will unfortunately continue, and I don't think, again, there is no change in the game, but just, let's say, now we cannot play without cybersecurity. Yes, as you say, ransomware has been around for a long time. But why did corporations and organizations fail to take the threat seriously until now? Some of them still feel that it happens only to others. But a lot of them now take it seriously and invest in cybersecurity processes and solutions. But it takes a lot of time. Because the OT cybersecurity maturity, I think, is still behind the one in IT. There is a lack of cybersecurity threat inventory how to secure third-party access, user and robots account rights, identity control and password credential policy, and many others. The Purdue level, let's say, you have many, many levels of type of system that you need to secure. And it's very, very complex to have a, a clear inventory and to know by what you need to start with. We can help in these type of things. IoT promises to connect everything with everything else. Is that really such a good idea in the era of super hackers and ransomware? It's maybe not a good idea, but unfortunately, as I was saying, uh, Industry 4.0 is on its way. And the OT digitalization is a must. You cannot stop. So you need to prepare yourself to secure industrial IoT and implement access security solution as soon as possible to secure access to critical industrial data and applications. The access, I think, is a most important priority that any industrial company need to take care of. Cybersecurity, of course, isn't just about keeping the bad guys out. What about the bad guys inside your company? They're called privileged users, and they usually have unlimited access to everything. But what if your most trusted users and system administrators turn rogue on you? How do you protect your company from the guys in the white hats? This is true. And uh, we do propose to implement a zero-trust cybersecurity framework. No one can be trusted inside the company or outside, even your third-party partners, basically. No one can be trusted. And you will give privilege or elevate their privilege on the go and when he can prove that what he need to do with this type of privilege. This is again, let's say, to secure identity and access to critical data and application. And we are one of the leaders in this field with uh, privilege access management, as you said, elevation delegation management, endpoint protection, and identity access security. But if you can't trust your own admins, who can you trust? No one. No one. You definitely need to only, let's say, uh, try, uh, but for sure, security has a threat on uh, productivity. So you need to find the right balance to give no administrator right to anyone, but just, let's say, elevate the privilege when the person can prove who he is 
and why it need to, to get access to that. But this is now, let's say, quite automatic. So we can really implement easy. And we, as you said, we are a company, let's say, providing solution with simplicity. So you can easily do that now for any type of industry. In a perfect world, you would know what every single user is doing in your IT system at any time. But we don't live in a perfect world, do we? No, we are not in a perfect world because there, there is, let's say, habits that we have for quite a long time. And again, we are not inventing Industry 4.0 and forget about Industry 3.0. So we need to migrate from this Industry 3.0 to 4.0. And we have a lack of inventory. We don't know the process. We don't know what the people was doing. So we need, first of all, to understand all those needs and put them in policies and procedures. And then let's say put the right security system around the identity and the access. Again, we came always to the same things. If you protect the access, you protect your data. If you protect, you know who is doing what, you protect the access to the data. And that's really, let's say, uh, uh, the game changer that we need to implement for any type of industrial stuff, which is not obvious because the systems are different. So we need as well to manage, let's say, different protocols. Industrial protocols are different, depend on the industry. You need to, to manage different things. But let's say we, we do have solutions in these type of things. Of course, there are also lots of really old machines out there. If you do IoT and Industry 4.0, these machines were never meant to be connected to networks, but they are now. And doesn't that sort of pose an even greater risk because they're never patched, they don't have updates? What do you recommend? Well, we, we do one, let's say, I consider as a black box. But as you say, now the different level need to be connected uh, to the IT and everything. So there is access to them. So what we propose is really, let's say, an agent that will take off any rights of those machines and no one will be able to accept the super administrators that we have. So we try to really put those machines as a black box. And yes, they are running for, for quite a long time. As you say, they don't have any update, but you need to control their access and so their identity. And that's what we can propose very easily with uh, an agent called BestSafe, uh, where we can definitely, let's say, take off any rights at the kernel level. So no one can access and try to ask the machine to do something which will, for example, crypt, encrypt their own data, which will make them not able to be accessible. Of course, digital identity and access management, known as IAM, mm -hmm. isn't just about security, is it? You also have issues of availability and compliance. They seem to me to be equally important. Yes, it, it, it's clear that uh, identity access management need to be integrated within the uh, compliance, as you said, uh, philosophy. And so we always try when we are looking to our solution to make sure that we will be able to support an ISO uh, typically uh, organization and, and how we contribute basically to be both compliant while we provide security. So yes, there, there is here a, a, a real, let's say, game, or not an easy game, but we need to take care about that. So you're, you are right. It's not only so easy to do that, and we need to manage different type of aspect and some other issues that you see. For that, we try to develop some consulting and services in order to understand the customer's organization and make sure that we'll be able to provide the right solution for him to be secured. One of your best known products, the Wallex Admin Bastion, was launched 
back in 2007. In internet terms, that's ages. Is it still au courant, as you French people say? Well, first of all, it's no more the Wallex admin bastion, but it's now the bastion. And the bastion has been, let's say, a lot of evolution has been made. In terms of uh, technology, we move now to a very, not let's say monolithic product, but more security services type of product where we can add the necessary needs. So yeah, the bastion is still there. We have compatibility from the one from 2017, but the one that we are the, the, uh, giving now 2021 has nothing to do with the former one. And today, the, let's say the version of the 2017 is even not more maintained. So no one of our customers now didn't migrate to the new version that is available on-prem, but as well in the cloud, and very, very soon in the software-as-a-service method. So a lot of things change since then. I read somewhere that Wallix has set itself the goal of creating what you call a trusted European digital space. Could you explain what you mean by that? Yes. Well, Wallix, as you said, we are a European headquarter company, and we are a member of different associations like Exatrust in France, uh, let's say following as well the ANSI, but we are as well in the one in Germany, uh, following the BSI, let's say um, security agency. So we want to participate to this uh, European cyber uh, security organization works. And we believe that Europe, and by extension, the European countries need to adopt a sovereign cyber security solutions and not depends only or mainly from outside USA, Israeli, Russian, or Chinese technologies. So we need to create this European sovereignty of cybersecurity, and we are an active member of that because we think it is very crucial that we will protect our own European assets. Well, the EU has been very busy in lately creating new cyber rules, the Cybersecurity Act, for instance, which went in, in force this year, and others. It kind of seems, we did a title story about that in the last issue of Smart Industry, it seems like the Europeans are taking a lead in cybersecurity. Is that your feeling as well? Yes. I mean, at least it's, it's, it's my feeling, but we are never sure, but it's a definitely a hope. I think we have really a good cybersecurity knowledge, expertise, and engineer in Europe. And so we need to continue to build on that. Not to say that we are better than others, but definitely we need to continue to exchange in between the large countries in Europe what Germany is doing, what France is doing, what the European Commission is doing as well. And so, yes, I think we are in, in advance. Hopefully we will be in advance, even if some companies like Israel, for example, are very secure because they are on war for years. And so security is at the heart of their thought. Yeah, but of course, we're caught in a bipolar world where America and China are dueling, and both of them try to take a lead also in cybersecurity, but they probably define it differently than we do in Europe, don't they? Yes, I think we, um, well, and maybe we are one of the examples, because if you take in, you know, us in the privilege access management, today we are the only European member of the Gartner uh, report. So, so at least we are recognized as a European leader. And we, I think, let's say, with simplicity, what we bring to the market is a big, big differences compared to the U.S. company. And so we want to, to build on this uh, leverage and make sure as well that the European companies, enterprise, will 
accept to work with European companies and not always go to other type of uh, US technology as they used to. Because unfortunately, let's say Windows is US, uh, Google is, uh, is US, and you, you are working with all those type of technology for years now and every single day. But in cybersecurity, hopefully, yes, we will have this uh, European sovereignty that will be accepted in Europe, at least, and in some other country. Well, best of luck. Uh, that was Didier Levastin, COO of Walix, a cybersecurity company based in France. Thank you. Thank you. And now, one more thing. A new brief in health monitoring. Perhaps some of you remember the story in our last podcast about the UCARE 5G t-shirt developed by Accurate. Well, IoT can reach even deeper, pardon the pun. Underwear, it turns out, is also getting a lot smarter these days. Mayant, a leading innovator in wearables, has developed a smart pair of briefs that could potentially transform healthcare. Thanks to biometric sensors woven into the fabric of the underwear, they can measure things like sleep quality, activity, stress levels, temperatures, and heart condition, thus providing some of the most reliable and effective ways to detect and prevent health issues. Mayan's skin brand fabric sends data back to a corresponding app. Mayan's platform analyzes the data, provides guidance on lifestyle changes, and allows users to share information with healthcare providers. Underwear is a good choice for a smart garment because it makes consistent close contact with the body, must-have for skin sensors. Mayan's underwear innovations fit into the larger trend of e-textiles and smart clothing, powered by artificial intelligence and tiny semiconductors. Scientists are replacing clunky ECGs and health monitoring devices like watches and chest straps with comfortable smart garments. Health providers and developers believe advances like these will increase compliance and lead to better healthcare outcomes. Actually, smart garments will probably be able to do much more for us. Sensors nowadays can be embedded directly into textiles, kind of like weaving additional yarn into an existing piece of fabric, or by applying sensors to the top of the fabric. Either way, the use cases for e-textiles go far beyond just health monitoring. Smart garments are being developed to do things like diagnose comfort levels of amputees, by monitoring the interaction between them and their artificial limb, assess patterns in athletes' performance and deliver small electric shocks to underperforming muscles, wake up sleepy drivers on the road before accidents occur with built-in fatigue monitoring, connect to smart home systems to do things like change the thermostat when your body is cold or hot, and improve the safety of firefighters and other first responders during emergencies by monitoring heart rate and body temperature. The number of potential applications and markets for e-textiles is vast, including military and space, automotive, haptic suits for virtual reality, sports, fitness, and assistive clothing. The latest report by ID Techie, a research firm, predicts that smart textiles will be worth over $1.4 billion by 2030. That was We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, 
by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.